0: Uh, I wanted to start this morning by answering uh, a question from our Sermon on the Mount series. So that's finished, um, but I want you guys to, to know before I start this is you can ask questions at any time. Now, I know that like during this hour of, of discussion, I don't stop and say, does anybody have any questions? Um, but that doesn't mean I don't want you to ask. Uh, Facebook, uh, email, Twitter, uh, text me, whatever, uh, your questions, I promise you, you know, your teachers have said it since you were little, if you have a question, somebody else does too, right? And somebody else has the same question. Well, I I really, I think that's pretty, pretty legit. Um, And so I got some, uh, I got some questions over the weekend from, uh, from last week, and I just wanted to kind of pause and answer that before we uh, really shut down that series. Uh, But if in anything we do, like today, as I'm, as I'm talking, if you have a question, uh, please write that down and uh, and ask. Uh, I would encourage you to invest on your own. Uh, don't just ask uh, me because that'll be my first question. What do you think? And if you haven't asked then, or you haven't looked, then it's going to be tough. But go to Matthew seven. I'll go ahead and answer this, and um, and then we'll move on. So the question came from Matthew chapter seven, and and the premise of my discussion on the Sermon on the Mount was that this is a this is a discussion for disciples. You know, at the end of uh, chapter 4, it, it says that uh, the multitudes are following Jesus. Uh, and then at the beginning of chapter 5, it says, and he, he removed himself up onto a mountain and he called his disciples unto himself, right? You guys kind of got the picture? And we talked about the premise of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is talking about the principles of a life lived in the kingdom. He's talking about what is it like to be a disciple of me. That's why he's, that's why he's saying, uh, blessed are you if they, if they persecute you for righteousness' sake. Well, he's not talking to people that are not his disciples, obviously in this context, right? He's not just generically saying uh, being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He's explicitly talking to those who would follow him. Uh, And but at the end of chapter seven, uh, the very last verse in verse 28, it says, And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, uh, this verse 28, "Uh, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Um, And the question was, I thought this was just for I thought this was just for his disciples um, and, and it co- seems pretty clear here that in verse 28 and 29 that there was a mass group of people uh, that had heard. Well, uh, that, that's true. Um, if, you, if you remember, again, contextually, what, what occurs is that he calls his disciples to himself, but he's removed himself onto a mountain, and you've got this scenario now where uh, it would be like if I had, uh, if I had Michael and Chaney uh, come to me, and they sat on this front row, and I said, all right, I want to talk to you. Uh, You are still here and are still observers and listeners to what I'm speaking about, but not everybody in this room is going to uh, fall within the category of those who I'm addressing. Does that make sense? So you still have this large group that uh, that is observing and hearing this teaching. However, the direction of this word is to his disciples. And not just to his disciples currently, but to his disciples uh, who w- are to be, right? So who knows in that audience, right? It says even after that that many followed him, right? So who knows even after that how many said, all right, this, deal, this, is, this is where I'm going uh, to lose my life in this thing. I'm going to follow this guy. Now, certainly they weren't called one of the 12, uh, but those who would then follow him, uh, certainly these things uh, would apply. So does that does that make sense? So there's a large audience, but at the same time, there's a very uh, there's a very small, uh, very small audience. And I, I love verse 29. It says, "He taught as one having authority, and not as the scribes." See, uh, it's, we know these were. Uh, the majority of this group would have been Jewish people, and they because we know the the, the importance within Jewish culture of the of the law, um, of, of the Old Testament and the immense study that they would have put in to that book. Uh, we know that these are people who have heard uh, the, the words and the sayings and the application of the law for really their whole life, right? I mean, it's people, this isn't the first time they've heard somebody give an explanation of, of, uh, of the law. And, but what it says is uh, they were astonished because he taught them as one having authority and not as one of their scribes. Uh, and it's, this is just one of those really subtle but cool uh, spots. Why did Jesus have authority? Why did, why did that astonish them that Jesus taught with authority? Why would he, why would he be able to teach uh, with authority on the law? You may know he wrote it. He's the author of the law and the fulfiller of the law. So when he comes, and he doesn't just say, hey, this is what this means. He comes and says, this is all about me. And so he speaks with authority in it because he is the life that is in the law. Does this make sense? You guys understand? And so what it did is for the first time, there was fresh anointing on these words. They had heard these words as, as, uh, as law and, and curriculum to live your life, through, right but then jesus comes and there's this really strange authority there's this really strange connection between uh now what he's saying and the authority that he carries because he is the very breath of the law that he came to teach right there's this connection that they've never seen before and, it's, and it caused them to go wait a minute something's different about this guy he doesn't teach as one that is detached from it he teaches as one who is the fulfiller of it Whew. that's cool they begin to sniff out, man. Something's different, even though they'd heard this stuff their whole life. So, uh, I hope that makes sense. I Hope that maybe clears up that question. If you have other questions based on the Sermon on the Mount, we can keep coming back to that. But um, it is uh, it is March, uh, and you guys know I'm not a very thematic uh, speaker. I don't uh, I don't like teach on theme <laughs> very well. Uh, so, uh, but but I I am going to. Uh, I'm going to do that for the next, uh, next really, four weeks, but we're going to do two different things. This week and next week, I want us just to begin to focus on what is coming uh, on March 31st. What is March 31st? It's Easter. And here's a problem that a lot of times I think that we get to March 31st, like the, or we get to the 30th, and we go, oh, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow's Easter, or you have a holiday, and it's like, tomorrow's Easter. And we, we kind of do the ritualistic things of Easter, but we are... We are essentially detached from the life that is in Easter because of the death. And so I want to I explore for these next two weeks. I just want to focus on the cross. And not that we don't do that every, uh, every week, but I, I want us to uh, go into Easter. Man, let's get, a, let's get a month in advance and let's really press our focus to what is coming and not be casual about it uh, as it is the most, uh, one of the most significant events uh, in the history of, of uh, history right? And so I don't want to just be casual about it. Uh, and then um, the last two weeks of March, we're going to look at uh, the Passover. Uh, I'm going to teach uh, the Passover as it is uh, a beautiful picture uh, of Easter and uh, and everything that happened there. So, uh, But these first two weeks, we're going to talk about uh, preparing for Easter. And I just will tell you up front, this is going to be a strange morning. It's not going to be a morning like is normal, where I'm going to uh, Teach a lot. I just felt like the Lord uh, just wants us to read a lot of scripture. So, with that understanding, okay, I know that it is early uh, for some of you, and I know that sometimes my voice, uh, especially in a monotone way, uh, reading the scriptures can get uh, sleepy, all right? So, in order for this to connect, I don't want this to be, hey, Kendall's going to read us some scripture. You, I want you to engage it. Alright, I'm not saying I'm gonna read the entire time, but I'm gonna read large passages uh, because there is no greater explanation than can be found in this uh in this book. And so uh, I just that's what I want us to do this morning. Uh so we're gonna be in 1 Peter. We're gonna start in chapter 1, we're gonna be a little bit in chapter 2, and then we're gonna to move to Hebrews. But I want you to uh Here's what I want us to be really attentive with our preparation this morning. Um, I want I want us to ask the Lord to sharpen our mind this morning. I think your temptation this morning is going to be for your mind to check out, okay? Uh, and I just want to ask the Holy Spirit to keep our focus right, okay? We, the Scriptures talk about the renewal of our mind. Well, uh, let's ask the Holy Spirit to do a work on our mind this morning uh, that we might be attentive to the word that He would like to speak. So uh, if you'll take... Uh, 20 seconds and pray that for your neighbor uh, and pray that for the person to your left and your right just so that nobody gets left out. You guys can get like double blessed this morning. Um, but pray that for the person to your left and right that their, that their mind would uh, remain engaged and that their spirit would know truth when it is spoken. So you guys go ahead. This is 1 Peter, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, uh, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Though now for a little while, if indeed be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen you, love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, <laughs> be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to former lusts as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your Father's. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls, And obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. What I want to do this morning uh, is soak in that truth. Um, What I want to do this morning is bring back into focus the reality of the cross. At the moment when the cross occurred... Uh, but also now. For the believer now, what does the cross mean? For the one who has given their lives to Jesus, for the one who has uh, partaken in his death and resurrection, for the one who has been washed in the blood, as was what just said, washed in the blood of the spotless lamb, has been made whole and clean, who was like scarlet and now is like snow. For us who have entered into that new and perfect covenant of grace... What does the cross mean? And I want to first show you some things about the cross that are powerful. Not that all things about the cross are not powerful, but I want to I just bring some things to the forefront of our thought here. First, in verse 17, it says, If you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here. Anybody connecting that to uh, some, what we've just talked about? The, the really the, the brevity of time that we will spend here on the earth because the earth is not our home. It is not our new reality. We've been brought into a new kingdom. The domain of darkness has no hold on us. We're in the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, right? The forgiveness of sin. He says, so now there's just this stay, there's this brief moment here on earth where you've been called to bring heaven uh, on the earth, where you've been called to bring the glory of God on the earth, but in your time here on earth, it is short, but you are eternal. In your time here on earth, conduct yourselves with fear, knowing this. So what he's doing, when, when I say, listen, you need to wake up and fear what you're walking into, what does it immediately do in your mind, right? It creates a sobriety, doesn't it? It goes, okay, this is a serious thing. This isn't, like, this isn't a childish deal. I'm not playing with, a, with kid games. This is a, if he's saying, conduct yourselves with fear because of the seriousness and the weight of what has happened, you know that this is not something that we need to take lightly. And so he says, conduct yourselves with fear, knowing, listen to verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. Like silver or gold. Verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And I don't think we could convey any greater Easter message than to know the value of the blood of Jesus. I just can't, man, I have a hard time. Sorry. Do you recognize... The price for that blood. He's saying, listen, the fact that you're eternal hinges on this sacrifice that's been made. The fact that you're reconnected with your father, the fact that you will will live eternal in relationship with him, it hinges on on this costly and expensive thing, which is the blood. And he says, so be careful. Conduct yourselves with fear while you're on the earth because what you were redeemed with was not a cheap trinket. What was spilled and poured out on your behalf was not a cheap thing. Uh, A friend of mine uh, gave me this ring uh, a few days ago. And when he gave it to me, uh, we were outside and it was dark. And uh, he put, he put it in my hand, and I found myself like, I mean, it was it's awesome. It's made of an Israeli coin, and he put it in my hand, and I'm like, I don't I don't want to hold it. If I drop it at night, I'll never find it again. You know, it's like I was I was freaking out, right? Be- why? Because this was so it's so precious, right? Somebody had gone through great labor and thought on my behalf that I might receive uh, this gift. And I'm going, uh, I don't, please, I don't want to lose this, right? And my hands begin to tremble. Why? Be- not because uh, I'm, I'm afraid of the dark, but because of the preciousness of the gift, right? Because of, because of what is in the gift. And so it caused this trembling, like this is so important. And I I wonder if we consider the importance and the cost of the blood of the, the one, listen, one spotless lamb that was shed on our behalf. Do we walk on the earth as if that thing is costly? Do you wake up every day in connection with the Father and go, oh my God, what you spent that I might know you in this way? Do you recognize that it costs the darling of heaven to not have a prick on his finger, but to become flesh and take all the junk that you were and then be murdered for it. And I'm not trying to be graphic, but guys, not not a quick kill. He suffered and suffered and suffered. And bled and bled and bled for you. And sometimes I think we live our Christian life as if, as if that blood is some cheap trinket, some cheap thing that just is in plenty. And I want to tell you, it is in plenty, which is the good news. The blood that was poured out is enough for you and for me, but it was not cheap. And I think for us to focus rightly on Easter, we must quickly focus on the price that Easter costs. Right? This was an expensive thing. So he says, uh, I just want to read it again. I just, again, I just think the Scriptures are going to minister to us this morning, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, You know, those things lose their value over time, right? You hear like commercials when the, the uh, economy's not doing well, right? Everybody's selling gold, right? Because so, that's like the thing, right? Because we're, we're trying desperately to retain something that has value, right? And he says, Look, this is not what redeemed you. It's not silver or gold that will go up and down in its value. This is the very blood of Jesus. The price was expensive, but the value will hold throughout eternity. I want to show you that in just a minute. It is a thing that will never reduce uh, its value. You're not going to wind up going, man, I wish the blood was worth as much as it was when I was saved. It it retains its value. Anybody else like just heavy with that? I can barely move on. Uh, And again, the goal here is not to move on. The goal here is just to sit in some of this stuff. So I may just get quiet and let you sit for a minute. Uh, But let's keep going here. It says uh, in verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now watch this in verse 20. It says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. So I think a lot of times we have this idea that Easter is plan B, right? That, that God creates Adam and Eve in this act of redemption on the earth. The enemy has already been cast to the ground. And this move of God, it says, the very next verse in verse 2, Genesis 1-2, it says, And the Spirit of God began to move on the earth, right? It's this, it's this redemption that is being told from the very, very, very beginning of Scriptures. So the Spirit of God moves on the earth. And then Adam and Eve uh, are created. And then they mess up. And then I think sometimes we go, uh-oh, right? There's sin now on the earth. And God's got to fix it, so he's got to come up with this plan real quick-like, and he figures out, well, uh, I guess the only way I can save him is Jesus, and Jesus enters the, enters the plan, uh, and, and here we go. Uh, but I want to tell you that our God is not that shallow and not that foolish, that he might have to have a knee-jerk reaction to make up for the things that you and me do. But it says here that he was foreordained before the foundations of the world, which, this will blow your mind, which he was taking part in before the foundations of the world. See, he is God. And John chapter 1 makes it clear that in the beginning, he was with God before there was beginning. That by him, not a thing, or not a thing was made that wasn't made by him, right? It was his word with God and the Holy Spirit. It's this, it's this, uh, this Trinity working in action to create, right? So he was before the beginning of the earth, and he was also foreordained and predestined to die on our behalf. Adam and Eve didn't sin, and God go, oh my gosh, I got to figure this out, right? He knew. He knew that he was going to send his son before he even breathed life into their nostrils. And I can go into this in great depth later, but the the purpose of this is significant, guys. Because Adam and Eve were maintaining, they had great relationship with God. And we always talk about wanting to go back to the garden, and there's, there's lots of that thought that I love. But their maintaining of their relationship with God was based on this thing called Innocence. And I don't, I don't mean innocence like in a courtroom. I mean innocence like a, like a prudeness, right? Uh, innocence like that. if they had rules, and if, as long as they would keep themselves from doing the things that they weren't supposed to do, then they would maintain relationship with God. Now, here's the beauty of it. They walked in the garden with Him. They had perfect, intimate, beautiful relationship with Him. But that relationship and the maintaining of it was based on this thing called innocence, And that's why it's clear that God had foreordained Jesus before the foundations of the world because we were never, guys, listen, this is huge. Lock in, please don't miss it. You were never meant to live in innocence. You were made to be righteous. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that you, the purpose of that, the purpose of Him becoming sin that knew no sin, is so that you would become the what? the very righteousness of God. See, the intent of God was not to create, create this being that would walk in innocence for the rest of creation, right? God had planned Jesus because of the inability of man to walk in innocence, right? And then Jesus becomes the propitiation uh, of, of, that, uh, of that sacrifice. He's the one that steps in and allows us to become what we were meant to be, which is righteous. And it's a beautiful thing. The maintaining of righteousness is now held in the blood of the Lamb and the life of the resurrection, not in my ability to behave correctly. I'm righteous because Jesus died and rose. And I partook in that sacrifice. Not because I was able to, right, to do the right things, say the right things, avoid the right things. So it's it's big that we know that Jesus was set up before the foundations of the world to die because the purpose and the plan of mankind was for the righteousness of God, right? Because all creation is designed to shine forth his glory. And what greater glory could we shine forth than the very glory of God whose life is in us and coming out of us, right? You guys still okay? We're doing like big thoughts this morning, but are you okay? All right. All right, so let's go to, uh, let's go to chapter 2 of 1 Peter. He's just, man, he's just obsessed with the cross. I love it. He just keeps going and keeps going. Let, let's skip over to uh, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 2, but verse 21. He says, for to this uh, you were called because Christ also suffered for us. Leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for. fill it in? Righteousness. Say it again. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on a tree, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." So, the only thing I want to, uh, only other thing I feel like needs to be added on to this at this point, I, we've done a lot. And I know you're going, man, you haven't really expounded a bunch. That's not the intent this morning. Again, I just want us to, to soak. First, in the cost of the blood. Anybody know how it, that it's expensive? Have we made that point? It was expensive. Uh, the second thing that it was foreordained, that he was predestined, that he was the lamb that would be slain from the beginning of the beginning of the beginning. And then the last thing that is so, so crucial. Go to Hebrews chapter nine. Guys, it is so important that you recognize he died for your righteousness. Not for your righteousness, excuse me. For his righteousness on your behalf. Chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 11, I just want to show you the completion. I want, to, I want us to lock into not, the, not just the cost of the blood, but, uh, but its power and its strength. Because it is, not, it, was, it is an expensive thing because it is a powerful, powerful thing. In chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. "...with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with His own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant. By means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So the question here is, is he qualified to do what he says he's going to do? So what if the blood is costly? If Jesus isn't qualified as the great high priest, if he is truly not without spot, then though that blood is costly, it avails nothing. To you and to me. It has to be combined with his ability to do what he said he was going to do. It has to be combined with his qualification as high priest. And what this passage says, it says that, listen, if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of the ashes of the heifer, speaking of the Old Testament sacrifice that was to be made continually, right, to the to the tabernacle, sacrifices would be made that the high priest once a year might enter into the Holy of Holies and do business with God. He would, he would go in and he would, uh, he would ask for the forgiveness of sin. He would sit before God. They would tie a rope to him because the importance of this time uh, was, was, uh, was so detailed that if he made one mistake, they knew that he would die and they, no one else could go in, so they'd have to pull him out. This was something that uh, was extremely detailed. And it says if that sacrifice, if that order of service, if you will, if those things would uh, temporarily forgive, right, that God had set in place, because God's the one that brought the law, God's the one that says, this is what you have to do in order to wipe the slate clean, not just for you, but for the people of Israel. And it says if those things were enough, to cleanse in that day, how much more then is the blood of the great high priest who not only, listen, this is crazy, not only is he the sacrifice, but he's the high priest. So he doesn't go in with, he doesn't go into God with somebody else's stuff. He doesn't go into God with, with, a, with an animal. He doesn't go into God with like Sherry's best story. He goes into God with his own blood. He enters into that place, that holy of holies, with eternal and spotless blood. Why is it important that he's perfect? Because if he's not perfect, he cannot go in and make sacrifice on behalf of you and me. If he's not perfect, then he's rejected as all the other high priests were. Then he's just like all the other high priests of the earth. But Jesus goes in to the holy of holies. He goes beyond the veil, covered in his own blood and offers himself as a sacrifice. Therefore establishing not just him as high priest, the one that's able to now, what does it say, mediate the covenant, the one that is now able to stand between you uh, and, uh, and the Lord and mediate this, this covenant of grace where we now enter in. He's not only that high priest, but he's the one whose blood was the perfect sacrifice because he's perfect. See, Jesus was not born of a man. We always go, man, the the virgin birth, what an incredible thing. I just The miraculous of God that sin would not touch his son. You and I get sin because we're born of man. We're born of the flesh. That's why we get sin nature. Sins are the bad things that you do, but the reason you do those bad things is because of what is in you, which is sin nature. That's what Jesus came to take care of. Not your bad behavior, but your nature. He came to give you a new nature, right? But Jesus was born of a virgin that he might not even receive that nature. Jesus wasn't perfect just because he didn't do bad things on the earth. He never even touched the sin received from his father. Isn't that crazy? The extent that heaven went to that he might be the great high priest and the perfect sacrifice. He's not plan B. He's plan A, born of a virgin, perfect in all things, fulfiller of the law, that he might stand and mediate the new covenant between you and me, and not just with some other sacrifice, but with his own. And then go to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 19, you guys, if you just want to read about Jesus as high priest and this sacrifice, just read the book of Hebrews, and it would do you good. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Why full assurance? Why, why can we have the confidence to draw near? W- what's the reason? Why is it safe for me to approach God? You gotta understand, this is not like fairy tale stuff. People died approaching God the wrong way, right? They're carrying, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which held his presence across the desert. Dude trips, puts his hand on it in the wrong way, and he dies. You, this isn't kid stuff, okay? But it says, now, because of Jesus, right? He says, now you have full assurance. You know how this would read to the Jewish man who who would uh, take such precaution that his high priest might enter into the tabernacle? That you would speak to him and say, now you go in. We don't have like a cultural context for this, but I want to tell you to go in to God is is a privilege and an honor uh, beyond what we could describe. And he says here, but now you having full assurance of faith, press into him. Why? You answer this question. Why? Why can you? Why would you? Anybody have a thought? Take a shot at it. Answering which part of the question there? Because of his son... Why can you or why would you? It's good. Be more specific. Come on, wake up. Why his son? Somebody, deep in Clay's answer. Why can you have full assurance of faith because of his son? What about his son gives us full assurance of faith? His perfect sacrifice, his blood, right? Are you connecting these things? Is it like gold and silver that's going to lose its value? No, he says, look, the the risk of going into God is covered by the blood of Jesus. You can now connect with him. Why would you? That's how you can. Why would you? Anybody? Is this what y'all do in class? (laughs) If I wait long enough, teacher will answer it. (laughs) Why would you guys? Okay, it's a good answer. Why else? It's a good answer. She said to pursue the righteousness that's available. That's a great answer. Why else would you? Because you want. Because you want to be closer to the person that created you. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody want to press into their dad? Like. Anybody? Anybody want to know the one that birthed them in his heart and then brought them forth for a purpose? (laughs) Catherine, I I use you as an example all the time. You're an artist, and so... But how wild would it be if the things that she painted could then know their creator? And then would they not want to know? Why did you put this line here? (laughs) Why am I this color? What do I function in this way? Why does my heart beat for these people? Right? Why would we not, like, what a privilege that we might know the one who loves us, that we might know the one who crafted us in his heart. <laughs> Why would we not go in? And he says, and you can. You can know your father. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Guys, the rug's not coming out from under you. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more the more and uh, sorry, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for our sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? Lots of questions come from this passage. My goal here is not to answer them all. But it says in verse 28, anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's what this book says back here. You know, when, when Jesus interferes with the woman who's been caught in adultery, why is she about to be stoned? Was, uh, uh, sorry, adultery. <laughs> adultery was adultery. Uh, adultery was a crime punishable by death. Why was it important? Uh, or why was it a- an option that she would die? Scripture says, "Because there are witnesses. They were following the law of Moses. to a T. That if you and I see somebody committing an act that is punishable by death, that is the thing in which condemns them. And they there's no like innocent till proven guilty thing, right? Two or three witnesses, death. So he's saying there's a seriousness about that law. Death is held in the balance here. And then he says... Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much more punishment do you suppose? Will be thought worthy uh, of the one who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace. Is the cross a thing which we should consider? Is Is the cross and the sacrifice and the blood, is it a common thing? As believers, are we to casually hold the cross and the blood of Jesus in kind of a, a, a corner of our Christianity and move on about the rest of our day? Anybody? Guys, did you, did I, did you hear what I read? Listen, uh, God is serious about the cost of His sacrifice. And what he's saying to us is that there is high, high value on the blood. There is high value on the sacrifice. I know this is heavy this morning. Are you guys okay? Everybody with me? Okay. But I, I think that for us... For, for this month, and, and I pray that throughout your Christian life, you would understand that the reason that you live in the freedom that you live in, the reason that the, that you, in your salvation, operate in the grace and the goodness of God and the freedom that you live in is because of the blood is because of the cross. It's because of his death and his resurrection. So the point here is, is that for us as believers, remember I said I wanted to answer this question at the beginning, what does it mean for us as believers? For us as believers to move on quickly past uh, the, the sacrifice, to move on quickly past the blood and see as it, it as something in the past, some trivial thing which has happened, in order that I might attain this other life, is a foolish foolish thing, and it is an insult to the very spirit of grace that has allowed you to live in the freedom that you live in because of that cross. Our obsession with the cross is, uh, track with me here, the way that we show our obsession with the cross is by living in the grace that it provides on our behalf on a daily basis. I don't mean that to say to you that every day you should wake up and you should just read passages about the cross and you should never enter into the life that it has given you. But many of us trample the sacrifice of the cross because we never walk into the life that it bought us. We never, you know, I asked you the question, why would you go in? And some of us, the answer is, I don't know. And that's reality. We never pressed in to the Father. Like we've done this Christian thing and we've been saved, but we've never, we've never, said, and I'm going to press in and press in and press in. I'm going to go and I'm going to get as close to God as I absolutely can. I'm going to press him into my heart and I'm going to hold him. I'm never going to let him go, right? We've never done that. What an insult to the spirit of grace that we might not live fully in the life that that costly blood purchased for us. What an insult. What an insult to this ring if I left it there. It was costly. It took time and effort if I said, "Man, oh man, that's so cool, thanks. What an insult to the gift. So I'm not saying that we become obsessed, right, with this thing. This is tricky. I'm not saying we don't focus on the cross. But our focus on the cross, our obsession with the cross is known in the life that we live because of what it bought us. Does that make sense? Are you with me? If you don't ever press into the gift that the cross gave you, then what an insult to the gift. You, are you with me? I've said this now four or five different ways. Are we good? The beauty of the fact that he was foreordained before the foundations of the world and that it was costly and that it is permanent and abides forever is the fact that our salvation is not on shaky ground. Your cleansing and your righteousness is not on shaky ground. It is held firmly in the grasp of the costly gift of the beloved Son of God who died that we might live. Or should I say, who died that we might die and live. You guys okay? So this is Easter. And I, I just would ask, I would challenge you this week. I would, this, is my, this is my challenge for you this week. I may or may not ask about it next week. Be ready for a pop quiz, okay? Okay. Uh, I want you to meditate on the cost of the cross. What I mean by that is I want you to maybe just try to spend like three, four, five minutes every day and I just want you to sit there and I want you to ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you. Just say, speak to me about the, how much it cost you that I might even commune with you now. The fact that, our, that we open our mouth and pray and it's heard is because of the cross. <laughs> the fact that I have freedom the, f- the fact that I can, uh, man, that, that I can have uh, righteousness, it's all because of the cross. And I would challenge you to run quickly into those things which the cross gave you, intimacy with the Father, right? And I want to ask you about that next week. So meditate on the cost of the cross this week.